politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots and Minutemen standing at the ready to fight anew at a minute's notice for everything that matters in the way it matters at the time it matters. You guys are the only ones who care about that. This is the only program that is truly independent enough to focus on what matters and what does matter. It really is everything from our right to exist, our right to prosper, accumulate wealth, our right to our children, our right to self-defense. It's truly unbelievable how it's all on the line. Others have said that. Others do say that. But this is the only show that focuses on the actual political and policy points that will matter and determine life and death, whether we succeed in this really a death match. Today, we're going to talk about first them coming for your wealth and then your children with medical kidnapping, a special guest coming up. You know, Kamala Harris, the ghost vice president, recently said When we invest in clean energy and electric vehicles and reduce population and reduce population, more of our children can breathe clean air and drink clean water. So she let the cat out of the bag, as we've seen, whether it's a Freudian slip, um, obviously she's not playing with a full deck, but either way, she let it out that one of the objectives here is to reduce the population. And they're dead serious about that. They want to take your children away. Either make it you can't have them, make it you can't afford them, take them away from you for political reasons. So I want to get to the medical kidnapping stuff. But first, I want to talk about the wealth part because this is really important. You can't move away from what just happened to us with the Fourth Reich and COVID fascism. And obviously, we've spent a lot of time talking about the lingering permanent injuries from the bioweapon of the virus, the bioweapon of the shot, the reverberation of the policies of blocking treatment and forcing upon us poisonous poisonous treatments, human experimentation, the fact that government has the ability now to do anything they want to you up until and including regulating your breathing. And we've spent a lot of time on that, and that's clearly true, and we clearly have not rectified that problem yet. But it's also the fact that it's not just COVID, it's not just viruses, that on anything else we have learned, oh my gosh, this is not just, okay, you know, they're, they, they want kind of greed and power, and they're willing to have collateral damage in order to pursue that. No, the collateral damage is not collateral, it's that, that is the point, that they, they want you dead. I mean, that's what we learned from COVID. But then there's also the economic part of it. There's long COVID, like long spike protein syndrome, but there's the long economic stuff. People think, oh, we had a shutdown. It was really bad. We shouldn't have done that, but we're back to normal. And like I've been saying, our government between the fiscal and monetary printing, they spent so much money and created so many second, third, and fourth order of magnitude consequences that we are permanently stuck in this. This is a big problem. We are stuck in a permanent dynamic where there is a cost of living that middle-income people, middle-upper-income people, to a certain extent, depending on your situation, and where you live and what you need, won't be able to afford the basic needs that your parents afforded. 
or we're trapped between that and a crushing recession that there are numerous, numerous economic markers that have never been wrong that are around the corner. Or it, I could see stagflation or elements of stagflation, like certain parts of pricing come crashing down with the recession, but because of so many anomalies, we get both. Meaning, typically, with economics, there's up and down. There's, there's two sides to a coin where you get certain liabilities, get certain benefits. You know, you have certain productivity, certain things with pricing, they work against each other sometimes. But this is not a natural business cycle we're in. This is artificial. And we're going to give some examples. So so, so um, one, one of the things we've seen until now is that the only thing keeping the economy afloat was consumer spending. And, and it was bizarre. It was like despite we, – we thought with the crushing prices, it would have to break. Something would have to give because how could people afford it? But it kept going and going. It's like the spending kept going on. Everything else was bad, but consumer spending was pretty decent, and that you know was keeping the GDP and job creation at adequate numbers. You know, not terrible relative to every other aspect of the centrally planned economy, um, which was which was terrible, and. Why that was happening, you know, obviously it's a mixture of our government pumps so much cash into people's homes. And then a lot of people for like a full year, sometimes even more than that for certain people, really did nothing with it. But then they were able to work on Zoom, so they got their income, got the extra income from the government, and they didn't spend as much, so they had extra cash. So then they started spending it in 2022 when things were open, and whatever. Some of it's also the culture, that just like the government, we have record private debt. People just spend money they don't have. I mean, credit card get, get debt has uh, hit a trillion dollars for the first time ever. Cumulative debt among the, the country. But now there are signs that that game is coming to an end. The public is out of cash. So earlier this week, they had very disappointing retail sales came in at 0.2, just 0.2% for last month. But if you adjust for inflation, U.S. retail sales actually fell 2.5% over last year, the eighth consecutive year-over-year decline. So that is, that is showing that the one thing that is preventing a recession is over with. And then that ties into homes. See, again, typically, historically, when interest rate, when you have, you know, home prices skyrocket, and then interest rates go up suddenly, you know, more than double in such a short period of time, that would crush the prices of homes, and the prices of homes would go down. So it's kind of like a seesaw. But we've never had this rate of mortgage interest, which again, historically has been much higher, but together with the prices of homes, this is the most crushing home situation we've ever had. Well, how does that happen, Daniel? It's a seesaw. Not if you have a manipulated economy where the government acculturates the market and 
creates an entire market premised on near zero interest rates for, you know, 14 years and then suddenly goes up a ton within 12 months, all in order to service the debt. Again, this is all long COVID. Spent trillions of dollars, had to finance it. That created inflation. That created the pressure to raise interest rates, both market forces and also just stupid decisions, really quickly. So that created an unnatural shift, cliff, where people don't want to sell their homes because it, it was so abrupt, they're going to be stuck with a much higher mortgage rate if they buy another home. So available homes on the market fell to an all-time low of 1.3 million in June, 15% decline from the same period in 2022. Also, homes in the U.S. are turning over at the slowest pace in over a decade. So now, if you're a prospective buyer, you just you know got married, maybe you had your first kid, you want to buy a home, there are 28% fewer homes to choose from. So this is why, no matter what happens, you're screwed. Because... The prices could keep now. The prices kind of they stop going up, and even in some markets they've gone down a certain amount, but they're still very, very high baseline, and and mortgage rates keep going up. So the two together is crushing. But again, none of these policies are natural. It was all the manipulated Fourth Reich to reduce the population. Ultimately, it's anti-family, and it's not natural. It's not a business cycle. Mortgage demand is the lowest since 1995. What now? What does that do? I can't afford a home. I got to rent. Well, that puts pressure on rent, and median rent is now at two. It, it now hit two thousand. Many markets, it's a lot more than that, but that's the national average, including all the low areas as well. And um, and by the way, there's a problem with inventory too on. On uh, So U.S. building permits fell 3.7% in June. That's another sign of a recession. Multifamily rental housing permits tumbled 13.5%. It's the perfect storm of inflation, interest rates, all to service the debt, and supply-side problems coming home to roost. So, folks, this is... All by design. That is part of the Great Reset. I want to make it clear. We talked a lot about the biomedical security, surveillance, experimentation state, the fascism. But it's also, meaning much like COVID was no fault of you. you like, you didn't do it. I didn't want it. I didn't create it. But they created it. So now you're caught between the actual melees they create and the fascism to address what they created it's the same thing economically. The government created th- these conditions on purpose, and now you're screwed economically. And by the way, speaking of that, our sponsor today, Jace Medical, with a recession coming around, you look at how we are already in a severe shortage of several hundred um, of the FDA's top uh, you know, common drugs. You have to make sure you get a backup supply through Jace Daily. What's Jace Daily? A lot of people have mental health meds, blood pressure, um, diabetes, all sorts of things. And look, you know, we're going to do shows over the next, you know, number of weeks and months 
there's a lot to learn about being too over-reliant on medication, but you know, you, you, at the end of the day, we a lot of people have become reliant on that, and they don't have a readily available good solution. And you don't, you know, the worst you can do is not have it when you need it. So Jace Medical, J-A-S-E Medical.com, you go there, you fill out all your prescriptions, you put in and say, hey, I, you know, I have this blood medication, diabetes medication, and they can fill as many as you have. They're going to make sure that there's no contradications. You're all good. It's a valid prescription. And then they're going to give you a 12-month backup supply. Now more than ever, you need that peace of mind of knowing you got it. You got it in your cabinet. Just like we kind of we, we did with COVID. And now, you know, we're doing with all sorts of other things. Um, enter code review, review at checkout for a discount. Make sure you get that. So again, jasemedical.com. And again, by the way, also, you know, my promo code Daniel is still available at early treatment meds, earlytreatmentmeds.com for those of you who want ivermectin, dizoxinide, hydroxychloroquine, things like that as well. Um, so just back to the housing. Again, what more would you do if you didn't want people to have kids? Here's an interesting statistic I came across. Right now, the home prices I have down here are the average home of 410,110. I actually think it might have gotten gone up to 420, but let, let's just say 410. In 1981, the cost of a single family home was about 66,000. So if you adjust for inflation, it today should be to compare apples and apples about 232, not 410. So in other words, you need to make 125,000 per year to afford half the homes for sale in the US. And that's extending yourself on cars and many other things that's going to press you. It's not going to mean like you're going to cleanly be able to afford it if you earn just 125, 135. So again, rising interest rates have not really pushed housing prices down. Instead, it's just made buying limited inventory even more expensive for non-cash buyers. You know, which is most people. I mean, most people don't buy a house cash. We are completely screwed. That That is very clearly designed. Because, by the way, this was the case, I know in a lot of these small countries, European countries, Israel's like that, where it, it has been this case for decades. There's just like a, not a lot of houses. And it's just a normal thing that people live their entire lives in a in a flat, in an apartment. It was always known the American dream was, and very attainable really to even lower middle income, was a home and two cars. But there were a lot of places. People didn't own cars. They live in those 15-minute cities, you know, and, and they live in an apartment their whole lives. That is what they want. What more would you do? And again, this is not natural because naturally prices go up the interest rates are down. The interest rates are up. The prices go down. But they manipulated it in a way with the COVID shortages, the other shortages, the environmental regulations, and then creating an interest rate cliff that quickly is creating this shortage. That is by design. The same way these, you know, Kamala Harris said, uh, you know, electric cars, and electric, basically green energy is to reduce the population. It certainly is because green energy means no energy, 
which means you can't live, the fiscal monetary policies of our government are designed to service their Fourth Reich government debt on the backs of your ability to start and prosper as a family. It's that simple. Now, by the way, the more we're seeing this is choking off consumers. So the June numbers for the um, SCE credit access survey, it's published by the New York Fed. It also shows very big problems on the horizon for family finances. They have a certain interesting um, marker of the difference between the average probability of a credit card applicant coming up with $2,000 plus within the next month and the applicant needing the money. Okay, so it's this is a good kind of measure of, of your fiscal straits. The probability of your, your ability to come up with $2,000 if you need it. Okay, you know, you need a major repair. You need, you need a repair to your roof. You need a repair to your plumbing. So you, you, you can't do without that, okay? So I got to come up with $2,000, often a lot more. But, you know, let's just say $2,000. And the likelihood you're going to need to come up with it. So there's a certain index they have juxtaposing that. And it is really running at uh, really fell to the lowest level since the data were recorded. Your ability to afford it juxtaposed to your likelihood of needing it. And connected to that, you it, it confirms that U.S. households are now running out of savings. The rejection rate for credit applicants has hit a five-year high. The rejection rate for auto loans has surpassed the application rate. <laughs> so what does that mean? Simply put, because costs are up and people are flat out out of cash. And, and it's also becoming a credit problem, too, from, from not, not just from the individuals, end, but from the banking end as well, from bankers. Because of the whole inverted yield curve, it's now it, it, the short term borrowing is pays more interest than long term. So normally you borrow low and lend to others. The bank will lend high, but now you have to borrow high, and then what? You lend out on a lower rate. You can't be solvent that way. So that's another sign of a recession. Is has never been wrong the inverted yield curve, and. It's also important to remember to the extent you see like 2%, whatever it was, 2.5% GDP growth. It's all okay. You know, it's not amazing, but it's, but it's like decent. It's not like we're like Armageddon. It's all a fake economy. It's selected sectors and companies that are carrying all that. The government has monopolized through their favored partners, which are essentially just GSEs of government, so they've become, that's what, that's the COVID economy. They permanently remade the economy and rigged it. So here, he, let, let me bring out a couple of things on that. Almost 3,000 firms declared bankruptcy in the last six months. You might not have heard about that, but that is a 68% jump from last year, according to Epic Bankruptcy, EPI's Q, uh, Bankruptcy. Meanwhile, Microsoft, they're doing fine. Not more than fine. 
they just crossed the one trillion dollar market cap right around you know early 2020 before COVID. Today they're making a run at three trillion, and then now they're charging every company you know tons of money to use their service. This year, the median S and P 500 company is up four percent. But the 15 largest S&P 500 companies are up 35%. It's funny. The left always talk about income inequality at the individual level. But at the corporate level, it was literally – I mean we saw it. You couldn't deny it. It was created through COVID. This is a version of long COVID we might never recover from. And of course, U.S. industrial production turned negative on a year-over-year basis – For the first time since February 2021, factory output fell 0.3%. There's a lot of um, signs that a recession is really around the corner. But what's scary is it's a recession in a new centrally planned, manipulated, unnatural economy and political economy that you won't even benefit from the potential of lower prices necessarily I mean, I could see them crashing down, but the more that would happen and the more broad that is across the basket of goods and services, the more that would reflect like a depression. So you're either going to get some mix of stagflation or a deep, deep, deep recession. And of course, by the way, for all their talk of inflation going down, like I said, it's it's the rate of increase from the top baseline that that slowed but still going up. Um, but 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 some other things are going up, even like wheat, corn, cheese, they're all orange juice, they're all going back up from what you can see on the commodity prices in, in July. Again, there's a reason. You can't somehow get an outcome that always gets what you want, coincidentally. So anyway, this is this is they, them going after your ability to 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 uh, raise a family, but what about your ability, your ability to raise your children in accordance with your political and medical choices? What if the government could just take your kids away, even if you find a way to somehow get a house, support them? What if they could just come in day ex machina? And take them away. So that's where I want to bring in our next guest. So Brian Festa is no stranger to this audience. He is a civil rights attorney from We the Patriots USA. Who has been such a terrific ally in this fight the last few years. For medical freedom, parental freedom. Just basic civil and human rights uh, that have been stripped from us in a shocking way. Where you have the expendables, the forgotten men and women of this country that have nowhere to turn. They have nowhere to turn for legal help when you would think this cannot be happening in America. And there's many aspects of what we saw during COVID that, again, as we're talking about, we call it a a new form of long COVID, reverberates long after COVID in terms of a liberty standpoint, medical standpoint. And one of them is, I have a chapter in our book, The Rise of the Fourth Reich, on... Medical kidnapping, medical kidnapping. And ironically, I actually have our next guest, Brian Festa, in a different chapter 
on the book. He is one of our stars in our Nuremberg trial there. But this is actually a different chapter. We talk about this. And it's it's medical kidnapping that, in general, it's something that I have failed to talk about over the years. It's been a growing menace long before COVID, where the balance of power is way too much towards the government when it comes to their ability to swiftly take away your kids. In general, it needed reforms. Obviously, you have severe cases where you know where all our heart goes out to kids that are abused, and you want to get them help, but the pendulum on net has been too much the other way. And then COVID happened. And COVID, there's two things that are important here. Number one is that in general, because of the political divisions in this country, there's a growing problem of the government. We we talk about the weaponization, the targeting. They target you for your political beliefs. Again, something that we never thought we'd deal with in America. So, well, one of those things is going to be, well, if they could lock you up based on bogus charges, they could take away your children based on bogus charges. I don't like the way you're raising them. I don't like your politics. But as a particularly potent subset of that is the medical kidnapping. I don't like your medical decisions. Your choice is not getting your kids vaccinated. Or if you try a certain procedure, we we talked about this with a family that had issues with giving their kids ivermectin in New Hampshire. And... You put this together and we're facing a long-term problem that needs to be dealt with. And I just want to throw out a statistic here before we bring on Brian. And and this was true a while ago. This is fiscal year 2019 data from HHS's agency, um, ACYF. That's, uh, what is it, Administration on Children, Youth, and Families. Child Protective Services agencies around the country received... 4.4 million referrals involving alleged maltreatment of 7.9 million children. Okay, so that's the macro data. Approximately 3.5 million of these referrals were deemed credible enough to launch an investigation. It's a pretty high percentage. So so 3.5 million out of the 4.4 million warranted investigation. You might think, wow, that's, that's a lot of rampant child abuse and, you know, a high rate of investigation. But then just 16.7% of those that were investigated, meaning the lower number, were found ultimately to be victims of abuse, meaning by the courts, by the government system. In other words, just 7% of the original pool of children for whom referrals were lodged were actually found to be in danger. Now, that 7%, it's very severe and assuming they're all real We're glad that happened, but that means that 93% were bull. And that was FY 2019. You got to imagine this whole COVID and the Karen medical profession is even worse. So this is all coming together with the medical kidnapping. The the more we have politics seeping into everything where we're now divided over like, you know, they believe bioweapons are must-have treatment and they believe – our, our treatments are bad. And again, I'm not saying I back all alternative treatments. But anyway, Brian's joining us because we have this family in Missouri. Yes, a red state. On June 16th, Amanda and Paul Gidry had their four children taken away from them, including their young child who has autism, because they, they were treating him with this chlorine dioxide treatment uh, that some treat for autism. I don't know... Um, whether it's a good idea or not a good idea, the risk-benefit uh, matrix on it, and we're not here to discuss that. 
But the point is they swiftly took away all four kids. And my understanding is they're still taken away a month later or five weeks later. And there's a lot more to this story. So with no further ado, one of our great heroes, Brian Fest of WeThePatriotsUSA.org. WeThePatriotsUSA.org is with us today. Hey, Brian, I wish I could talk to you under better circumstances. But nonetheless, thanks for joining us again today. Hi, Daniel. Yeah, unfortunately, it always seems there's uh, you know, an, an, a new uh, level of tyranny. Every time I talk to you, there's something new happening um, that really, um, I didn't think I would, I would see things like this, um, you know, but I guess after, after COVID, nothing should surprise me. Like you said, they've used that uh, because they've gotten away with this for the last three years. Um, they've been able to run rampant over, you know, trample our constitutional rights, our individual liberties. They were able to take away all of our liberties. Um, so why not take away our children now? I mean, nothing yep. is sacred to these people anymore, right? Um, and Amanda and Paul Guidry, yeah, they had their four children taken away from them, including their youngest, their six-year-old autistic son, taken away, into cust- uh, take, removed custody from the home, and gave it to the state. The state has now placed those children in foster care. And and let me say something very important here. Um, They tried, this is a detail that maybe is getting getting lost here that that we need to do a better job of explaining. They tried to get the family, uh, their children placed with family members. They had trusted family members, such as Amanda's father and other people um, that, that they trusted. And they said, even a neighbor across the street was watching them for a time. The, The state said, no. Can't do that. We need to put them in foster care. So Why? let's start from the beginning. Let's start from the beginning. Describe the Guidry family, their situation, what they were doing, and how CPS in Missouri got tipped off and the due process or lack thereof timeline. Uh, like, did they get warnings? Did they say, hey, we want to see this? You know, how abrupt it was. Kind of go through the genesis of this. Yeah, it didn't happen overnight. This goes back to last fall. So they tried to take the kids away last November, but they were unsuccessful. Um, so, so what happened originally is they were t- they told they made the mistake of telling another parent of another autistic child in their son's class at school that they were using this treatment. Now, I say that's a mistake because obviously they were just trying to help the other parents, right? Um, Amanda and Paul are very kind, you know, yep. loving people. They wanted to help these other parents. They saw great improvements in their son's symptoms after they started using chlorine, chlorine dioxide. So, and, so wait, wait let, let's just put a pause there because I want to make sure everyone understands everything here. Chlorine dioxide. So, again, again, you're a law firm. You're, you're, you're representing them on the legal grounds, not giving medical advice. I don't know anything about it. I do know one of our scientists we did have on the show – uh, Dr. Stephanie Seneff is a big fan of this. Is it you sniff it, you ingest it? What, 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 what does that mean? So it's a solution. Now, I'm not an expert. I love Dr. Seneff. She's a friend of mine as well. And she wrote a great article on the Weston A. Price website. You can check it out there on chlorine dioxide. But um, it's just, my understanding, is just a few drops that are, that are put into water. So it's highly diluted. This is not drinking bleach people. You know, some people say, oh, you're telling people like Trump did to drink bleach. No, that's not what this is. 
This is a very small amount of a solution that's placed in a glass of water, and it's taking uh, a couple times a day, two, three times a day, however often it's recommended for that particular child. And there was no harm. This is what's key here. Yes. This is why they weren't able to get the kids taken away back in November when they tried the first time. The judge didn't allow it. Why? They weren't able to show any evidence that, that the children had been harmed or were in any imminent danger of harm. Now, is there any evidence in the macro across the country or the world that this has caused harm? Well, listen, like with any other treatment, there are people that have reported adverse side effects, okay? But show me a drug that is recommended and FDA approved that doesn't have a laundry list of side effects. Every time I've seen one of those commercials, you may get cancer, heart attack, stroke, aneurysm. I mean, (laughs) so... Yeah, in other words, words, obviously, you, you give your kids hemlock... So I, I think we would all say, hey, like we don't want them to give their kids hemlock and th- there would be a cause to take away the kids. So it's, it's always this is a very tough issue. Child and parental right. I mean, parental rights uh, juxtaposed to harm because you want to protect the kids. But I think th- the point we're saying is this. I, I have no idea what this treatment is. Uh, so this is not we do healthcare driven shows. This is not one of them because I have no opinion on it. I don't know anything about it, whether it's good or not or, or the cost. Or, or the risk overrides the benefit. But your point is this. You look at the freaking COVID shots. By their own measure, everyone who gives their child a COVID shot, by proven data, they should be taken away. Not that we're advocating for that, but if that's the game they want to play, that 100% has zero benefit and only risk. But I think the point is we're a very divided people. We have different ways of doing things. Um, everyone does things that have a certain amount of risk, and and but but they might have a benefit and... And they're facing certain vexing ailments and they want to try treatments. And you cannot have a situation where the government could come in without due process and no prima facie evidence of harm and say, that's a screwy thing you're doing. I'm going to take away your kids. So that's the point here. But what's the sort of timeline? Like, so uh, someone in the school reported them and then what? So it was another um, family that they had told we're using this treatment. That family reported them to the school, who then reported them to CPS uh, or their, the equivalent. I forget what acronym they used in Missouri, but the sure. you know Child Protective Services. And then they showed up and investigated them at their home. Now, this is fast forward. So the first time they weren't successful, they couldn't show any evidence these children had been harmed. And that's the key here. I agree with you. We are not advocating this treatment. I'm not a doctor. I'm not giving medical advice. We, the Patriots USA, is not endorsing this treatment or any medical treatment. Okay, what we are saying is if you can't show that children have actually suffered abuse or neglect, you cannot take them from the home. Um, and, and, And giving the state this kind of power that just, oh, on the suspicion that this could be dangerous because they got one doctor, Daniel. Here's the big due process violation. So fast forward now to June, June 16th. They were able to get one doctor a doctor who had seen the Gidrys, okay, a pediatrician apparently, to write a note saying that this could be harmful. That yeah. in her opinion, in her opinion, of course. this could be harmful to the children. Now, were the Gidrys able to produce a doctor? No. Were they given an opportunity? It doesn't look like it, but even if they were, it wasn't much of an opportunity. It was like, show up to court, we're taking your kids. Okay, this doctor says it's harmful. Amanda and Paul, do you have any doctor? Oh, no, you don't? Okay, take the kids away. All right, that's not due process. You've got to give them time. You can't expect two parents to have a doctor and their, a medical expert in their back yeah. pocket in five minutes, but yet the state was able to produce one doctor's note 
and that was sufficient to remove custody. No, absolutely not. And, and, and again, I want people to realize this is not about whether this is your cup of tea. A lot of things aren't our cup of tea. But you could imagine, think about some of the things you do in your home that you're, even the doctor you use would take issue with it. Like if you asked me, I don't know, I wouldn't do that. But this is the severity of it. So we have a very clear due process to lock someone up in jail. Okay, if you want to lock someone up, sentence them to a year, five years in prison, this is a due process. The fundamental problem I have that scares me with this is that our legal system, and this is what I want to get to you as a lawyer, our legal system views taking away a child as like family court. Is like it's not something that's a criminal punishment, even though the severity of it, a person would almost rather serve a certain amount of time in prison than have their kid taken away from them. But it doesn't engender that that level of due process. So you could have a I think that's kind of screwed. And and you could look at any family and look at something in a vacuum and say that could have risk. And you just come in and investigate, okay, show me, show me exculpatory. Right away? Uh, no. Okay, done. So how quick were they taken away? It's my understanding from everything that I've seen, and I've seen the documents, that this happened very quickly. They, they showed up at the house. They questioned the children first, away from, separate from the parents. Um, and then they questioned the parents um, as to whether this, they were still using that treatment, CD. And the parents admitted to it. The children admitted to it. And they were taken away that day. That's, that's how quickly this happened. This didn't happen like, okay, now we're going to give you a week or two. There'll be a hearing in a couple of weeks. We're going to have – no, they presented this to the judge as an emergency situation, that these wow. children were in imminent danger of harm. That was an absolute lie, and these people need to be held accountable, Daniel, because now this child has been moved into four different foster homes since he was taken away on June 16th. So in one month, he was, he's been in four different homes because they can't handle his behaviors. These are not families that are trained in dealing with special needs children. Sure. And he's regressed. Now that he's not on this treatment, he's shown significant regression. They've tried to push and put him on medications that the, comfort, the, the parents aren't comfortable with. This is extremely dangerous. So that's this another thing. Once they grab you, they – see, you're not allowed to do something that they say they don't want for your own child. But once they grab the kid, they could do – so to make it clear – the Amanda and uh, and Paul, it's not like they have any say over the kid while they're not in their home. No, no, that's it. Well, the 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 uh, social worker that's been working, I guess, the sort of go between has been in contact with Amanda and Paul and letting them know. Listen, they're going to put them on this medication, and Amanda said, "No, you're not." So she was able to get them to stop. There was a new, uh, very. Uh, very strong prescription medication that they were trying to put this kid on that has a lot of adverse side effects, potential yep. adverse side effects, like you're saying. It's okay for them to do it. She had to step in. The social worker stepped in and, to her credit, did, last I heard, did, was able to stop that medication being yep. administered. Lord knows what else is happening to that child while he's in the home. We've heard about forced vaccination stories. I'm not saying in this case in particular, but we've heard forced vaccination stories. We've heard of child abuse. Obviously, sexual yeah. abuse happens in foster homes. I mean, this is not a safe environment. You know who's responsible for harming these children? The state of Missouri. Not Amanda and Paul Guidry. The yeah. state of Missouri is guilty now, in my opinion, okay? I'm not a judge, not a jury, but in my opinion, 
the state of Missouri has, is the one that we do have evidence is actually harming this child. This child is traumatized now. He's been ripped away from his parents, regressing, moving from home to home to home. We need to bring these kids home. We have a fundraiser on our website for Amanda and Paul Guidry, medical kidnapping fundraiser. You can go wethepatriotsusa.org. You'll see it right there if you scroll down to features. It's right on the home page. Um, we're trying to raise money uh, for this lawsuit, for our efforts. We've already fronted the money for them. We've already retained two attorneys in Missouri who are working on this, okay, and they're working around the clock, and they've done an amazing uh, job trying to get information for the parents and trying to get in hearings in court. They have a hearing coming up on Friday, actually, um, to try to petition to get these children home. Yep. But they need all the help they can get, and we just so appreciate you giving us this platform because now people are becoming aware of this, right, with The Sound of Freedom, Human Trafficking, with Take Care of Maya, yep. which is a documentary on Netflix. The medical kidnapping is real, and the primary offenders are state officials, government officials. State officials, but they're particularly using medical because the thing about medical, as we learned with COVID, it's, it's human life. Uh, I mean, you're saving lives, right? So the life, liberty, and property went out the window. The Constitution went out the window. Uh, human norms, legal norms, everything goes out the window. So that's the – now, I, I feel we're going to reach a point where they're going to do it just straight up politically. You're you know, teaching them racism or whatever. But this is the quickest thing because you could say the, 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 there's, there's life in danger, and that's what we learned with COVID. Um, and again, you could easily see how they do this with they – could, they could start doing this, this with – Look, you will die if you don't get a vaccine, even though with some of them, you'll die if you do get it. But, um, yeah. and, 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 you know, judging by their standard, you know, you have a kid who uh, dies of myocarditis, you should be able to take away the other kids if you gave your kids the COVID shot. We're not advocating that, but the point is, they could easily say if you don't get a vaccine, you don't give your kids vaccines, they're going to start knocking on your door that that is child abuse. This is a big, 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 big problem. Um, yeah. What about the other three kids? What's up with them? So I haven't received a report on the other three. I just know that they are in foster care. The only, the only one who's been moved four times, I believe, is the, uh, the six-year-old. But it's interesting you mentioned uh, not vaccinating as a basis because just last night I was online in one of my Medical Freedom Facebook groups, and I haven't confirmed this yet, but another parent, I have to reach out to her, um, another parent um, in Connecticut says that uh, she was on state insurance. They call it Husky there. And, uh, you know, there's all kind of protocol when you're using state, you know, funded insurance you have to follow. And, and it, they learned because that you have to report what vaccines the children have. So they learned, the state learned that she wasn't vaccinating her children and they took her child away. So, so that's what she claims. I have to verify it. But I've already, just as of last night, heard of a case exactly what you just described happening in Connecticut. So I'm going to verify, and if they need an attorney, um, we're going to try to you know, get involved in that one too, and I'll, I'll keep you updated. But um, this has to stop. We have to set a precedent. If this is happening in Missouri, you said it when you first brought me on, right before you brought me on. This is happening in a supposedly red state like what Missouri. The heck? I mean, where, where's the governor? <laughs> and obviously, are, are you in touch with anyone in the legislature? You know, I am not, but I do have a, a fantastic uh, physician that's working with us as one of our medical experts who is connected with legislators. Uh, I don't know about the governor, but he's very well connected with um, some senators sure. and some um, I'm going I'm to make some calls. And I'm just jotting that down because I do know people in the House and Senate there, and, and, and this needs to be dealt with. And again, it's not just – obviously, you know, we have to raise awareness, as you noted – um, part of what you do, it's legal help, but it does help the PR because let's face it, this is not legal. 
Um, it's political, so you got to fight politics with politics. Um, it's all PR war, and that's what they typically do. They'll drip out something that looks a little bit like off and sinister in a vacuum, and people are like, yeah, get that kid out of there. But again, I mean, I've I've extended family in certain, you know, we're in a community where people have large families, and we have four kids, and, uh, you know, my wife and I will sometimes talk, eh, you know, we're not, <laughs> we don't dig exactly what this family does and the way they kind of um, raise their kids. But that's what it is. But what I fear is in an increasingly polarized country, you're A, going to have more individuals ratting on each other because if – especially if it's over something that becomes kind of political. And then B, you have these weaponized agencies. And yes, in, in all these red states, uh, because let's face it, the Department of Education, Department of Health, uh, DeSantis is the only governor that has made an attempt to drain the swamp. To, to orient the agencies agencies towards his values. The other governors have not done that. So, you know, when you're dealing with CPS in a red state, it, it typically you, you have to assume they're as bad as the way they would be in California, and we all know how they are there. So I want to talk about some of the legal remedies that we need to pursue. So, so let me just tee it up, and I want you to really give us your best ideas. So... This is a little bit of a tough issue. You know, other issues, categorical, get the government the hell out of it. Here, obviously, there's a certain amount you want the ability to save children. It is a pro-life issue. You don't want people to be killing their kids. Um, but there are certain hard triggers in terms of evidentiary standards and due process, um, both in terms of the threshold to launch an investigation, the threshold to make the ultimate decision to to take the kid and also the due process along the way that would ensure that this balance is restored and then also perhaps maybe a deterrent against frivolous uh, cases so families don't have to suffer losing a kid for a few weeks based on nothing or at least even a you know a lengthy investigation how do we restore that threshold that usually works in the case of criminal charges, but breaks down in family court. Yeah, I have a few ideas, <laughs> um, and it has to happen, unfortunately, because this is not a federal judiciary system, right? These are state court systems, so there would have to be laws passed in each individual state, but that's fine. We can tackle things state by state. We're doing it with the shots, right? Um, we, we've seen different states passing uh, measures related to COVID and mandates and lockdowns, so we can do it state by state, but we need to get a ground game going in each one of these states. So the first thing that I would suggest to go to your point about due process is there needs to be a law that says uh, when someone, when the state is even petitioning to, to take away a, a, a child from the home, that there has to be enough notice given to the parents and enough opportunity given to them to present their own evidence, in, th in a case like this, medical evidence. Now, obviously, we don't want to put up roadblocks where there's clear evidence of harm. Okay, this kid comes and says, you know, my father's beating me or I'm being sexually abused. There have to be some emergency measures. You're not going to leave the child in the home for another month to be yep. beaten and abused. Okay, so, there, so that's why it's tricky, Daniel, because you can't just have a one-size-fits-all sure. for each situation. But in a case, certainly, of medical kidnapping like this, they just come in with what they call child abuse pediatricians. That's a new specialty that's developed. We have a great oh, interview. Taryn did just last week with Beth 
uh, Maloney, who's an attorney and expert in medical kidnapping. She's been doing this for about 30 years. You should have her on your show if you never have. Um, she's the number one expert in the United States on mm. medical kidnapping. And she just did an interview with Taryn Gregson on Faithful Freedom with Taryn Gregson. Uh, you can catch it on our Rumble channel or at wethepatriotsusa.org. Yep, I've been but, on with um, Taryn. Typical, very, 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 very thorough interviews there. Definitely want to see that. Yeah, so, so Beth Maloney talked about this. These child abuse pediatricians, they're not experts in any specialty. So you have a child that's having gastroenterological problems, they, they, the GI problems, they, they come in and, um, you know, they're going up against a GI doctor. This child abuse pediatrician has no specialty training in that and saying what this GI doctor, the treatment they're prescribing is wrong. And the, and the court sides with a child abuse pediatrician almost every time. That needs to change. These, wow. That shouldn't even... These child abuse pediatricians shouldn't even exist. Number one, that shouldn't even be allowed in hospitals. That shouldn't. That's the first. And, and thing again, you as do you're talking, that. it's like before COVID, you couldn't really appreciate what you're saying. But now that we know these people are utterly insane, it's a profession of Karens, and they're literally doing things that they should have their kids taken away. I mean, like you know, we, we talked about it. The fact that these pregnant women, the OBGs, and that whole field in the College of, o of Obstetrics advocating things that are prima facie dangerous to fetuses with absolutely no safety studies, and but, but they're shielded from liability, and they could just bomb away at you, and that's okay. And those people monopolize the, the pool of expert testimony that these state agencies and, and state family judiciaries are relying upon. Exactly. And, and actually, that was the other suggestion I was going to make about how we reform this in the law, is there should be criminal penalties for anyone. I don't care whether you're a state official or an ordinary person on the street who makes false reports. And yes. if it turns out to be unsubstantiated, if you remove a child from the home, and it turns out later that was unsubstantiated, you should be liable, not just for yep. civil damages, you should be criminally liable. Watch how fast there'll be a deterrent. Watch how fast these yes. medical kidnapping cases will yes. drop. If these social workers yes. know that if they make a false report and take a child and it's later proven they're wrong, they're going to be locked see, up. See, if I see a kid being harmed, I have the evidence, I could prove it, and I feel strongly, and it's important in that situation, you, f you feel for the kid, I'll make a run for it. But if it's a political thing, I don't like that. That's an ewy right-wing treatment. You know what I mean? Like Iverm like like the Ivermectin case we had in New Hampshire, you know, yep. it's like you know that's bull and there's nothing to prove this prima facie no harm, but if it's if it's a political all you can eat buffet and there's no deterrent, you're going to go. So on the back end it's important, but what about just just the just the, in general the the process of the of the court how it's is there a way to more orient it towards an innocent until proven guilty standard that we generally have in criminal court? The reason it's so difficult is what I mentioned a few minutes ago is that there are situations where it's a true emergency and there's real evidence and we can't wait a month to have a hearing and, and have a trial or something when a child's being abused. So it's a very fine line, but they're, the, you, legislators know how to write statutes, all right? They, yeah. There are exceptions written into statutes all the time. So you can say, okay, except 
for you know when there's been you know clear evidence of yeah, harm, prima facie, pr- clear evidence proven by at least two two witnesses, something like that. I mean, you can put safeguards in place, but yes, in the case like this, in a medical kidnapping case where there is no evidence, there should definitely have to be a hearing, and the parents need to be given a reasonable time because one of Paul and Amanda's main problems is they weren't given time. Sure, they called us after the fact, after the children were already yep. taken away. It was the first time I had spoken to her. It's so once it's already happened. It's extremely difficult. I, I mean, undo, my, my brain it. is just racing as you're talking because the 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 realm. This has nothing to do with chlorine dioxide. The realm of outcomes based on the state of politics, medicine, government control in this country, and also just the culture of Karenism that was really, really turbocharged with COVID, you know, that you violate social norms that I'll get in your face if I don't like that you're not wearing a mask and you better make a medical decision. It was, it was a, that, that's really a, fourth, a third Reich tactic. That's why we call it the Fourth Reich. But I think what's, what's important, I want people to look up, and I don't think it's the latest legislation. It was the previous session. You're from Idaho. Um, in Idaho, Representative Tammy, Nich- Tammy Nichols and uh, she's the head of the Freedom Caucus there, and Senator uh, Christy Zito introduced HB 821, which would bar the state from taking a child <clears throat> when a parent questions treatment or seeks a second opinion. So that's an easier one because there they're not doing an action. They're, they're, they're just you know abstaining from treatment, and it establishes that the parent has the final say in medical decisions, tightens up requirements needed to establish child abuse claims, and give state officials far fewer bites at the apple to assume possession of the child. And it's, I think it's artfully written. I know it's been updated, but um, you know, you're, you're in Idaho. You're based there now. I mean, th- this is the, the baby Cyrus situation. Could you just kind of remind people that don't remember baby Cyrus in Idaho from, from two years ago? What happened there? Well, I mean, unfortunately, that was, you know, a horrible situation that happened during COVID. I was not um, yet here, obviously, uh, when that happened. But Tammy, um, I'm glad you mentioned Tammy uh, Nichols. She was one of the speakers at our national conference. And um, we, I, I actually have developed a, a pretty good relationship with her. So you just gave me an idea that I'm going to reach out to her yes. um, and, um, and, and try to... Uh, um, see if we can get any legislation passed to stop medical kidnapping in Idaho. Uh, but, but basically, um, you know, ba- baby Cyrus was taken away um, from, from his parents um, in, in, in Idaho. Um, that was another medical kidnapping case. Um, and, uh, you it know, was, luckily... It was based off of not, uh, not showing up to a doctor's appointment, Right. That's my understanding. I'm trying to remember all of the details because since it's it's been a while since it happened. But um, but yes, um, basically just missing a well. I think it was a well visit, wasn't it? Um, yes. It it wasn't even like the child was in imminent danger of harm. No, it was just a well visit. The the parent w- was sick, so couldn't show up. I actually recently bumped into the child's aunt at a at, at an event, um, and uh, you know we talked a lot about this, and and I was just again a red state. Um, absent legislative reforms, the CPSs of red states are just as bad as California, and the balance of power. I mean, I mean you always have to look at the time you live in. We, we talk about this with corporate power as well. You know, two decades ago, we wouldn't have pushed legislation trying to curb it, but you got to see what you're up against. And given the seamless flow of the medical 
industry and the government and the values of the two and the decrepit nature of um, medicine in this country, this is something you really got to swing the pendulum closer towards parental rights, obviously still leaving in an avenue when there's real proven harm to to come in and save the kid. But, you know, I had Dr. Paul Merrick on Friday about all of his ideas with cancer treatment. And this is another big one. If you if you, let's say you have a kid that gets cancer and you know they they want you they're saying like you got to save the child you're going to do this regimen of chemotherapy and they're like I, we don't really think it works we think this and this works this is a big problem right and actually um the Justina Pelletier case um I'm from, originally from New England I'm in Idaho now but you know that was a case there Boston Children's uh taking um, uh, taking custody of uh, the, this girl uh, because her parents weren't doing uh, chemotherapy. There was a case in Connecticut as well, and I actually spoke to the mother about that case shortly after that happened. Um, they wanted to use alternative treatments, and the hospital forced chemotherapy and medically kidnapped the child. Um, in the case of baby Cyrus, it was um, because of uh, malnourishment. I just uh, quickly looked it up to refresh my memory. It was, it was a malnourishment case. I actually watched the video. Now you jog my memory. Yeah. When, when, the, when the police officer ripped the baby from the mother's arms. And, and the baby had an eating disorder. It wasn't that they were starving, and they took her away yeah. from the mother so she couldn't breastfeed her. I mean, it was, right, it was right, just right. a real bad situation. Uh, I think she was in custody for, for, for about a week right. before people just raised Cain. And, and, and it's funny, when you raise Cain, suddenly it's not like, oh, we got this evidence. We're, what are you talking about? The baby, oh, okay, all right, all right. Well, they drop it and run away. And again, those Federal statistics I gave you, I mean, they don't lie. That was 93% of all inquiries did not lead to a finding of evidence of child abuse. That's a big, big problem there. That balance needs to be reasserted. We're out of time, Brian. Where could people find more about how to donate to uh, the, the, the Guidry family specifically, but you know your work in general, which is very, very broad and expanding? Right. I mean, we're doing Second Amendment cases. We're doing, you know, free speech issues now. We've got the East Palestine, Ohio case over the train derailment and the lies of the EPA. We're doing a ton of work. We the Patriots, USA.org, if you want to support our work. Uh, we have a specific fundraiser for the Gidrys, and that's the most immediate need. We have other cases involving religious exemption to vaccinations. Um, just you'll see all of our work if you go to the Legal Updates tab at the top. And then also sign up for our email list and follow us on Telegram, We the Patriots USA News Channel. But sign up for our email list as well. That's extremely important because we want to give people updates about these cases. All right? We have a lot of people that step forward. They yeah. want to help. They want to donate. Even if you can only give $10, $20, no amount's too small, but then they want to know what's going on. So we do a good job of people, keeping people updated on social media. However, we're shadow banned there. So the yeah. best way is to be on our email list, and we'll keep you updated. Yep, and folks, I mean, we talk about, you know, Toilet Paper USA and all these confabs. They spend millions of dollars on grifting uh, for, for just endless nonsense. We did a show yesterday, governance versus grifting. This is what governance looks like. And I don't mean just like, you know, a, a branch of government. This is what it means to actually advance our cause. I, I support this organization wholeheartedly, one of the few. I do this from a legal angle. We also need to work this legislatively, and I will be meeting with our legislative strike force team leaders for you know about next year's legislative sessions in about a week. So, folks, you could also sign up for one of our Liberty Strike Force teams at conaction.network, 
And this is, you know, this kind of Idaho bill modeled after that is what we want to push in every session. We got to do something about it. And also the governors. The governors need to rein in these agencies. They're not autonomous. We talk about the deep state in Washington. But then in these red states, it's like the governor's like, I'm conservative, while every one of their agency heads are just like a bunch of left-wing wackos doing harmful things, violating human rights, uh, still pimping the COVID stuff to this day, by the way, uh, except for Florida, but you're not allowed to talk about that anymore because, you know, he's persona non grata to the grifters. But folks, this is what it means to focus on the issues that matter and the way they matter at the time they matter and do something about it. Brian, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you all for joining. God bless y'all, and thank you for listening.